Mike Caramba, they're slurring it up. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Very good. Uh, that, I know that idiomatic expression. That was Rob Zachney last week. Yes, indeed. Rob Zachney, how are you? Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing great. I think I'm probably. I'm probably having a better week than Martin Brundle is. So I haven't seen any fallout <laughs> from the. Uh, from that commentary team yet, but mm. uh, I suspect at some point the elephant in the room will have to be addressed. <laughs> well, if you're new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. Welcome to your elephants uh, as well. If you're new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode. It assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to the, that and get up to speed, so to speak. This year's primer is episode 216. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What's been going on in Patreon land recently, Danny? Uh, coming in right under the line in May was mm. our film review of the anime Redline, which we all absolutely loved. It was pretty great. It was a movie that sort of got better and better and better and had a fantastic end to it. So I think... Uh, talking about it on the podcast was uh, uh, a whole bunch of fun. I was I was way into it. Um, Movie goes places. It does. It really it really is, has a vision. Uh-huh. Pretty simple like story of racing, but the everything else that happens around it. And I didn't really realize, but people after the fact were telling me that like it's used in like to this day as a high watermark for animation. That like animation oh. students and uh, folks that are working in that field. It's kind of like required viewing, which I thought was quite cool. Um, oh. uh, yeah, so check that out as, along with all the other uh, film reviews we've done over the years over on our Patreon. A massive thanks to all of our incredible title sponsors, especially someone who, for some reason, I skipped over for the past two weeks. I don't know why. Uh, but Cyphus Training, uh, hyphen turf SCS. Thank you, Cyphus Training. Thank you for training all those Cyphuses. I'm not really sure what Cyphus Training to is. To surf. To, presumably That's, is that like sisyphus but it's now just sisyphus so, so it's is it put you're training how to push a rock up a hill you it's maybe you're like just taking the bad connotations of sisyphus out and you're just like we're doing cyphus training and you can push that boulder up the hill you don't need to worry about what happens when you get near the top yeah right maybe it's a forklift that lifts boulders i don't know Could be check out cyphus training's website or services i guess to find out this really turned into a long advertising <laughs> this is the trick you just don't get mentioned for two weeks and then you get you get a whole bit um and of course all of our other incredible title sponsors alex medina kickaha of the art at team jack blackjack michael maves gordy's army at talking autos olivia evans ironstation.dev telemetrydeck.com ftc drew stewart bailey foot abdullah althani jason chadwick abraham getchell Hashtag Bunny Crimes, RIP Waypoint, Snigs, Alex Goucher, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Umberto Roca, William Romph, Irvine Clinical Research, Lachlan the Madden Man, and of course, Jason Kelly. Thank you all. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, everyone, shall we take it to Spain? Let's do it. This, this kind of felt like an... 
this I don't know about you guys, but this felt like a throwback to like five years ago or something. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt really maybe it's Spain because it's well trodden ground. Maybe it's it was kind of like a Mercedes era race where you weren't really caring about what was happening in the front, but there was like a decent amount of overtaking happening everywhere else. But how do we feel about the quality of the overtaking? Because to me, it sort of felt like, yep, that DRS zone it down DRS, to turn, yeah. turn one sure does help people make a pass. Which I, I think do. that fits in yeah. line with what Danny said, though. Yep, <laughs> exactly. That's what it was. It was like when DRS first came around, they were like, here is the overtaking spot. Please overtake here. We should talk about qualifying, though, because it was a weird oh, yeah. qualifying. The track yes. conditions seemed so bizarre. Yes. Nobody... Like so, there was a what brought out the red flag? Do you do you remember? Yeah, um, so um, a lot of spins out there with the the damp conditions and uh, particularly with one. the Alpha Tauri drivers. Yeah, um, and it was a red flag, I believe, to clean up all the gravel that had scattered across. Yeah, the track. it looked like it was. I think it was Bottas who spun. Uh, Nick DeVries spun there like three times in a row. It was very very funny. It was on that entrance uh, to sector three, and the F one website when I did the track walk last week. The F1 website did not have, had not updated it to let us know that the final chicane was not being used. I didn't know that. So apologies to everyone. I got, I was like shocked when I watched practice. But I think it was Bottas who, it looked like he almost beached himself. Mm-hmm. But was that, was yeah. that, you know, it was weird. Because in, in real time, people were like, oh, did they mean to throw that red flag? Because he got out of there. Well, right. but I feel like it, was it for him or was there another incident uh, where somebody got like, going well, again i think albon went off around the same time too yeah um but there's this red flag and yep. there was a bit of there maybe they're trying to clean that situation up on the track the conditions right. might be too treacherous and it was one of those moments where again a little bit of my reactionary f1 fan begins to stir where it's like if these drivers are who we claim they are they can get out there <laughs> like, and they can handle these conditions yeah and it was, it seemed to be like, it It honestly seemed like there was just a weird little like off, there's a, there's a weird like off camber turn and a bit of moisture collecting in it that was invisible. Like the track yes. wasn't wet, but it was like clearly damp. And then it was basically like a little patch of black ice almost that caught <laughs> so many people out. It was a bit like in the Muppet uh, family Christmas thing where they all like hit the icy patch going through the yeah. door. It was, it was kind of like that, but with F1 cars. Nick DeVries was the funniest one because the second time he did it, he was like, what am I doing wrong? He he like he didn't he didn't even know why it was happening because it, right. it was I felt so a, bad for him at that point. Yeah, and we've got a, the soundboard it, clip for when he gets fired. Uh, but like it was it was as they say a scruffy session for a lot of folks alonzo might have destroyed his weekend in that oh my god that qualifying Mm -hmm. session and And it from what appeared to be a little bit of just a lapse where like he didn't appear to be putting in the appropriate steering input to make the corner where he launched off and it didn't seem like he felt like he had to straight line it it just kind of looked like he was making adjustments at the wrong moment and just like went rocketing off the track and did real bad stuff to the floor. And the uh, evolving nature of the track, especially in Q1, almost felt like wet race stuff where the last possible lap is going to like shave three tenths off because the order of like Perez squeaked in. Like I think Hamilton did it on his last lap. Um, It was like super treacherous. You had like those moments where you know everything is going crazy 
where you suddenly see Lando Norris get pole and then right. Ocon get up there yeah. and then Bata. Everyone was shooting up And to none the of top. those times hold up. You're like, wow, no. that, what a great day for that team. They're going to make it through. And then you look and like, oh, they're on the bubble. You're right. They're um, like 14th. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, like Leclerc's car couldn't turn left. It was a right. thing that he it's noted. It's not an ambi-turner. Yeah, it, just couldn't, it could turn right just fine. Couldn't quite. They set it up for a clockwise track, and Barcelona's counterclockwise. They were just fired up with the the spirit of Indy was upon them. Uh, yeah. They were like, we're we're ready, we're ready to go to the greatest spectacle. So like that was that was a weird thing. Um, Russell looked completely lost with his car. Was complaining constantly on the radio, and then there was that was that Q two where he and Hamilton managed to snatch a teammate collision from the jaws of a boring qualifying wild <laughs> yeah did you have any more uh, insight into why that happened rob uh yeah so basically it was it, it seems like it was a pit wall error uh so the issue was that the drivers were spaced apart by about a lap uh in terms of what their what was going to be their their hot lap and instead, Russell had to abort his lap and go into a like you know the 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 recharge mode effectively. And as he's getting ready to come around to start his lap, he asks Mercedes because he's been going so slow. Is anyone coming up behind him? Does not get a response. Hamilton is coming around, about to start his hot lap. Sees George, but. George is supposed to be off it. George is supposed to be on a cooldown at this point. So Hamilton hits it. George hits it. And now they're drag racing down the main straight, aiming for the same like patch of corner real estate at the end. And since Hamilton sure doesn't expect George to do this, and George has no idea he's there, Hamilton doesn't back off at all because, well, George is going to get out of it. He's going right. to move off to the side. And so it, it seems like it was just complete miscommunication, uh, failure to update the other side of the garage. Fortunately, we got lots of, on the international feed, we got lots of great uh, insights from the Mercedes garage because they put their director of communications oh, yeah. uh, as their point of contact for the oh, Sky TV this. broadcast. And you know you're going to get the straight dope when you're talking to somebody <laughs> whose title is director of communications. Like, I swear, going from James Vowles like a week ago to this made me want to start watching the F1 TV commentary. This is how, this is how they're going to get me. What 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 were what was their reaction like? What what were they saying? It's just a PR flack. Like nice. it was every time they did the interview, it was him being like, "How can I just make the most anodyne response just possible?" Platitudes, like they're asking him questions about the weather, and he's like finding ways to give non-answers about <laughs> how Mercedes is evaluating the weather. It was off. I, I didn't it never occurred to me that you could just have effectively your comms director go out to talk to the Sky TV broadcast. I kind of figured that you just weren't allowed to do that. Yeah. But Mercedes apparently is, uh, or they just left Sky with, with no choice. And the result was by far the worst. Like, I never want to hear from this man again. Like, oh get off gosh. the stage. If you, can't, if you can't bring an authentically, like, if you can't bring an actual race engineer or team principal to this party, don't waste our time with it. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, uh, at the end of Q1, the track really starts to ramp up, and, and it's Leclerc who really has to set a good time, and he does. He puts in like, oh, that's good enough for 12th, but the track continues to get there, and eventually everyone else behind him 
sets better times, and he is out in Q1 for the first time since Monaco 2019. Yeah, and they were talking to him after the fact. Something happened. He said even in P3, the car was fine, but something happened. He's in Park Ferme, I guess. Um, between then and and the start of qualifying, he said uh, it was just impossible to turn. So very confused. He seemed to be about the whole thing. He scraped in in in, in Q1 and obviously didn't make the mark and was way off the pace. Um, a couple of them were way off the pace. Like even Alonso, uh, Rob alluded to it earlier, was you know second uh, or second best to uh, to his teammate Lance Stroll as well. Um, yeah, for the first time this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like like. We, we mentioned he had that snap of oversteer Alonso did that caused him to drive through the gravel uh, at the final turn, causing significant damage to his floor. Uh, the team spent the first half of Q3 doing their best to fix it, uh, leaving just one run to set a time, but uh, it was eventually good enough for eighth. Charles Leclerc's team also was doing some heavy work on the car uh, to try and fix whatever mysterious issue it was, resulting in him having to start from the pit lane. Sorry, I forgot to mention my conspiracy theory about the 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 sketchy red flag. Mm, do it did on. coincide with with Alonzo really bashing up the bottom of his car, and <laughs> oh, I had Spain. a moment where I was like, Spanish. "They're just not going to let this happen in Spain." <laughs> this is the Adam Silver <laughs> meme of like getting on the phone and being like, "Alonzo needs to go back out." They One need- of the marshals just went pulled out the rogue red flag of Spain. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, by the way, I also I did enjoy that this qualifying felt like um, the season has not shattered Lando Norris' spirit enough. Oh and my god! So we need to give him just a little crumb of hope. Oh no! Who and who yes. was it? Who ultimately? Who was it? Who was it? Gasly? Somebody had a, a penalty as well. Yes. Yeah, so I'll run down the grid here. Max Verstappen starts on pole position. Kelsey Carlos Sainz Jr. in second. Ferrari, by the way, running a new Red Bull-looking side pod in practice, but mm. still back to the bathtub in the race. <laughs> um, Lando Norris qualified third on merit. Lewis Hamilton qualified fifth, but moved up to fourth with uh, Gasly's penalties, of which there were six grid places. My That's goodness. two three-place penalties for impeding. Signs and Verstappen, the latter of which was called out on track by Fernando Alonso. Yes, so like, that was oh, very funny. That's uh, that's impeding. That'll be three places. Who was it? Ocon who did the one or Gasly last week in Monaco? I forget the one in the tunnel with Leclerc. I think that was uh, Ocon. No, 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 no. Or was it, it was, Gasly? Uh, it was Norris coming up on Leclerc, wasn't it? In Monaco. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Leclerc got the penalty. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, you're you're correct. Okay. All right. For a second, for a second, I had my like brain was whispering my in my ear that Gasly has somehow gotten two penalties in a row, and I was like, "That's crazy." It's just so funny to me though, watching now all this indie, and how <laughs> much the spotter is keeping people apprised of where they are in traffic and what right. is happening around them. And in F one now, it is becoming <laughs> a comedy of errors as drivers are caught completely flat footed by the context of the cars that are surrounding them. It's costing it's, race weekends. Like it's it's super and it's, like those it feels like it's bad. it's spreading, you know? It's, mm. it's there's a there's a pandemic <laughs> of this throughout the the paddock. Um fifth place Lance Stroll is where he'll start and then uh, Esteban Ocon in sixth, Nico Hulkenberg sev- seventh in that Haas. Fernando Alonso in eighth, 
with that floor damage. Oscar Piastri, ninth, and Pierre Gasly, 10th, is where he ends up. Uh, Sergio Perez also got caught out by that slippery track and had a trip into the gravel in Q2. Check a buddy. We really need you to make this season interesting. Stop yeah. binning it in qualifying. Uh, George Russell, 12th, also not faring well in Q2. Um, after that miscommunication with Hamilton. Uh, Guan Yu will line up in 13th, followed by Nick DeVries, Yuki Tsunoda, Valtteri Bottas, Kevin Magnussen, Alex Albon, uh, then Charles Leclerc and Logan Sargent, both of them starting from the pit lane after uh, modifying their cars under Park Ferme conditions. Mm. Uh, and just to, because we haven't really had a, a, a spotlight on that uh, in a bit, that's like, so when you, you set your setup of your car, and it's locked. That's what park Ferme means. And so you go out into qualifying. At the end of that, it's still locked. Your setup is still locked. And then you go into the race. If you make any dramatic changes to that, that's a breach of park Ferme. Um, and so that's, that's to prevent them. Because the, in the old days, it was just like, put the qualifying engine in. And then, well, that's done. Put the race engine in. No, it's the same car that has to do qualifying and the race. Um, so if you breach that, that's why they have to start from the pit line. But they were already going to be back there anyway, and Leclerc had a bunch of stuff to fix, so that's why they did that on purpose. Uh, but the race, everyone, let's get to it. Danny, do you want to take us through the start? Yeah, sure. Uh, good start from Verstappen, but a very good start from Carlos Sainz, who, uh, must be mentioned, is starting this race on the softs. So they're kind of banking on getting uh, a good leadoff here, um, um, maybe... Uh, nipping in front of Max at the start of the race as well. Uh, Verstappen, though, cleverly goes up the... He defends the inside of the the straight on the lead-up to turn one, which is sort of the uh, accepted best defensive uh, position for the car here in Barcelona. Um, Carlos Sainz does manage to get his nose ahead of him as they're getting into the braking zone, but Verstappen, uh, once the apex is sort of cleared is ahead and manages to um, sort of squeeze out signs a little bit. Um, uh, while what's happening behind them, second and third, is the battle between Lando Norris, who's in third, and Hamilton, who, as you said, has been sort of promoted up until fourth position. Because of the movement of signs and Verstappen, um, there is sort of like an open space behind Verstappen now, uh, because signs is up alongside of him. So that's where Hamilton decides um, to, to sit in gets ahead of Norris, and then as Norris is taking a wider turn on turn one to maybe get a bunch of speed as they enter this super fast uh, uh, rest of sector one, um, Hamilton, like, uh, on the live broadcast, they said that the the Ferrari of signs kind of cut across Hamilton. Hamilton kind of cuts the corner a little bit tight, like he's trying to just establish that line. Um so he gets pretty close to the back of Carlos Sainz, but he does also slightly squeeze Lando behind him and he decelerates because of what Sainz did. And basically, Norris has very little time to react and ends up getting his uh, front wing nicely crunched up under uh, Hamilton's left rear. Um, and as a result, then starts to tumble down the order, I think, pretty quickly after that Lance Stroll gets past him. Um, and then as he is sort of entering basically a high-speed part of the circuit where he's had to slam on the brakes right at the start. He's slowly gobbled up by a couple of people, ultimately has to come into the pits. The other person who suffered a bit during this was uh, George Russell, actually, uh, took the, I call it new escape road. It's, I think it's probably the third year they've had that escape road now. We have to drive around the cone. Um, 
he had to take that. But I don't know if he lost any positions. Maybe he lost a position or two out of it. But no, um, I, like because this became such in? a point of contention a bit later. Um, he had made up a ton of spaces at the start. He had a like yes. really really like blinding start. And there was some question as had he gotten an advantage going through the escape road because if you look at it on on the film does he gain positions no but he does go through the escape road pretty quickly and right. comes out none the worse for wear he uh, gains momentum that's kind of how it looks mm. but the judgment of the stewards was and anthony davis said when he reviewed it uh his argument was George had to bail out. It was the objectively correct decision to use the escape road because it was a three cars going into too tight a corner. So to avoid an accident, he did bail out. He kept a position he had fairly and then also avoided a collision that seemed pretty certain had he stayed in. And so it's the kind of incident you kind of want to wave off. Um, right. Because you couldn't, you can't clearly say that he gained advantage and he definitely did ensure that everyone in his little neck of the woods got through safely. So uh, they, they let, they let that go. Uh, one thing I want to mention just about this particular turn, because in recent years, we haven't really seen it happen so much. The reason they put this escape road in um, was obviously people were bailing out of that turn. And there's a couple of reasons why they would, if you take it tight, it's a, a nasty turn to try and get momentum into that section. But more importantly, there's two issues with it. One the outside of that turn, so I guess the start of turn two technically, um, is incredibly tight and uphill, and forcing too many cars into that section when people are often three wide uh, is sort of like, uh, you know, trying to make an accident happen. So they're really trying to encourage them to break off as much as they can. The other thing to mention, and you would have noticed this if you watched, um, I think it was the Formula Two feature race, because um, there was a bunch of races on this weekend is there is a nasty sausage curve at the apex of turn two. And if you hit that thing, you bounce the car and you do not make the turn. And we had one incident happen where two cars got taken out into the gravel and beached basically um, because of that sausage curve. So that's the reason why the escape road is there. Just in case you're new to F1, you're wondering, why did I have this super like advantageous escape road? It's because the the, the necessitate it's necessitated because of the particular characteristics of turn two in particular yeah and they do make you know it's a rule that you have to there's a there's a cone at the very end of it you have to go around that uh before you rejoin the track and so they i they try to mitigate any uh corner cutting advantage that you would get by by that placement and russell you know abided by it um but yeah as you mentioned danny the stroll because of norris's misfortune gets kind of a run up on hamilton and eventually does get by him on that lap uh, while Norris has to pa- uh, pit for a new front wing. Um, we're expecting Perez to be making a lot of moves starting from 11th place. And on lap six, he gets by Hulkenberg on the inside, turn one into ninth place. Um, but Russell is the one, as you mentioned, really on the move. By lap seven, he's getting by Alonso on the outside of turn one for sixth place. Uh, and one lap later, Hamilton um, retakes that position from the other Aston Martin on Lance Stroll. This one much tighter. Uh, taking third place. Um, Did it feel like the feed was missing a ton of these key passes? I feel like the Russell Alonso thing didn't make it to air. Like, I I feel like I saw that update in the timing and scoring, but I feel like I didn't take the, I didn't see the overtake. And throughout a lot of the first half of the race, I kept feeling like we were missing 
significant passes for point positions because we were watching something else. Yeah, I don't remember feeling that, but I, I definitely believe it because there are so many turn one DRS aided overtakes. Yes. I mean, there's the other thing. Here. Did were we really, were we really missing that much? <laughs> yeah, it's it's partly the DRS, and it's also partly this is it like a like a three tire race. It's a two stop race, so you have a lot of cars on different strategies throughout this race. So you yeah. You get, sometimes there's passes that are fairly inconsequential and sometimes there are passes that are consequential and in real time it's a little bit tricky sometimes to figure out which is which uh turn one is where it's at uh piastri getting by the sinking holkenberg for 11th place on lap eight and then a lap later perez getting by joe for eighth um on lap 11 russell has closed up to Ocon, who's in fifth and lunges down the inside at turn one to take that place Ocon then pits uh, and then comes out right in front of a three-way battle between Hulkenberg, Joe, and Tsunoda. Hulkenberg tries to go around Ocon, but he can't do it, leading to a ripple effect that sees Tsunoda get by Joe at uh, turn four, I believe. Hulkenberg, Joe, wait a second, and Tsunoda, you said. Wait a second. What That's is right. it about those? Hmm. Those three guys are from three different places. Did you notice that? That must be the first time that's happened in Formula One. This I am is... getting tired of saying all these names, though. <laughs> and also, isn't it just wild when people are from different places in F1? But okay, this is so we're we're joking about the fact that Brundle just needlessly filling some commentary, doing the thing of like ah the you know, and then identifying people by their nationalities. Uh, but sometimes you just your your brain reaches for like the correct word to describe someone's nationality, and it ends up on an old timey word that you may have heard growing up used yes. as if it were a normal way to refer to people like that, but wasn't and isn't. <laughs> and so he, yeah, he while he is out there out there talking about the race, he says, uh, you know, something to the effect of, you know, wow, well, you know, we got a German, we got the German, the Chinaman. And the man from Japan. What a cosmopolitan duel. And I applaud the, you know, quick quick on your feet. Oh, no, that was a mistake. But obviously I didn't say what you thought I said. I, I meant, like, he's a China man. Yes. Just like Tsunoda's the man from Japan. It was a little wordplay. But it was, it was, it was mortifying. Uh, in, in part because... It's a really old-timey word, and Brundle <laughs> is of a generation that the word fell out of... You know what I mean? Like, the word that's been pretty offensive for a while, this isn't like your it's, grandmother yeah, it's using benign. it. It's almost benign. It's such an old race, racist word that it's all... Like, uh, you know, I am I need to be delicate myself here, but, like, it. yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's, like, so old-timey that it's, like, wait, what? Like... Why did you pull that one out? That was well, and, and when you heard weird. it, and when you heard it being used, a lot of times it was not necessarily said with like the intent of a slur. It is just what right. people of a generation, yes, like used to refer to people from China. But this is that's coming from an era, and on the heels of eras where like xenophobia is just massive and right. and global. Uh, and he just has that sort of rattling around in his head. But here's the thing, like. He isn't even of the generation that really extensively used that word. Like he's he's of a, you know he's uh, he's of a similar generation to like my father, for instance. Would never expect to hear that from my dad. My dad actually texted me during the race. Was like, 
did Brundle honestly just refer to Joe as almost, yes, yes, he did. Uh, Spencer Hall on his F1 podcast has talked about uh, Martin Brundle having the most like Alan Partridge moments of anyone in sports commentary. Increasingly, it is true. Like, I feel, his, I feel, yeah, look, if, if, you know, xenophobic slurs aside, if Martin Brundle slowly turns into Murray Walker over the next like 10 years, I'll be okay with that because I feel like that type of like weird. Again, xenophobia aside, but that type of like bumbling, lovable idiot sort of definitely exists within a certain generation of F1 fan who grew up listening to Murray Walker, who was a fantastic commentator, but also capable of just having the most insane Murrayisms that, like, you know, probably yeah, added Murray's to the, his myth. The Yogi Berra of Formula yeah. One. Okay. I think, I guess, one of the, uh, like, the thing that leads him astray here, though, is the fact that. They keep wanting to sort of exoticize the fact that, like, there are drivers from all sorts of, like, regions and, and like, and nationalities racing in F1. And I think one of the things that really, like, one, that's just fraught territory to be in to begin with. But two, it does kind of, there's a weird parochialism when it comes to how, people from the UK talk about F1 as if it is theirs. Oh, right. And it's yeah, always yeah, been exactly. a really international yeah. sport. And if it has become increasingly like centered in Britain, that is in large part because like it's effectively a tax haven for people like <laughs> running businesses. But there's kind of this weird like, hey, what's what's a person from not Britain doing in this sport? Wow, what a what a funny thing. Look look at that. Look at that fellow go. He's Rob Rob as as a non British person who lived in England for 5 years. Uh, unfortunately, you could apply that to lots and lots of things about life in England. <laughs> not even sports or like soccer is the same. I don't thing. know how you're not losing your shit. Con- well, I guess I guess the history of Ireland is losing your shit constantly <laughs> being in proximity to the English. But it is just the most like it is the most um like Gilbert and Sullivan ass like blinkered view of the world where it's like well we expect these we expect to find british people in these in these contexts but what an odd thing when they're not british it's okay he only only talks for a living Um, (laughs) yeah it's got to happen every once in a while i guess you know what i mean he's got a pretty good track record so you know well and that's the thing i think like there are commentators when when they slip like that it is because you know for sure oh yeah that that is how they they view the world and that's how they think totally we don't really have any evidence that Fundamentally, that's how Brundle sees things, and I think that's why people haven't been that outraged about it. There are commentators who, when they you know have a slip of the tongue, you kind of feel like you're getting a glimpse of what their inner monologue is. <laughs> right. You don't get that sense with Brundle. Yeah, I yeah. Um, it, was, it was a good battle though between the three of those drivers. Probably the best of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and the other AlphaTauri and Haas are scrapping behind, and on lap uh, 23, Gasly hangs it out around the outside of turn one and takes 14th from DeVries, who appears to lose some carbon fiber from his front wing after oh, yeah. that close shave. Uh, one we haven't mentioned yet is Leclerc, who did start in 19th and hasn't seemed to have made as many inroads as Perez uh, and Russell have from their lower spots. 
Uh, though he does, Leclerc get by DeVries on lap 26 for 14th place. Lap 27, Verstappen has an uneventful pit stop from the lead and comes back out in the lead. <laughs> it is funny how every time he has a pit stop, I'm like, they're going to have to fuck one of these up eventually. Because it's, it's like the only thing that's going to stop that Red right. Bull. And, but, and they're all perfect. Uh, he could have done two. Oh, yeah, they're so good. He they could he had a thirty second lead. They could have just been like, oh, that didn't go well. Just let's you know what, let's put a completely different set of tires on. Could have washed his car. You know yeah, I mean? it's <laughs> it was it was bad. There was a I'll moment. Change the wipers. Yeah, there was a brief moment where he was complaining about like this is much later in the race where he's talking about how rapidly his tires were falling off and Hamilton had good pace and I was like, oh, could it be? And the answer was no. It would like, not. I, I could change it. We got yeah. time. <laughs> Uh, Perez then pits, moving signs into second place, uh, but it's not for long as Hamilton, on uh, tires that are nine laps newer, gets down the inside of signs at turn one to take second place. And I think it's around this time that maybe we all start to realize that that Mercedes is doing well. Yeah. Like, like this is not just a you know qualifying or, or Leclerc messing up and qualifying. They're not out of position. It actually has decent race pace. And they were talking about that there was a big upgrade coming uh, this week and after the race uh, Hamilton was talking about how actually in terms of performance it wasn't quite as good as they were hoping it would be that like some of the stuff that happened in the race for other drivers you know went in their favor but you know by this stage you're looking at the Mercedes and going it's like they're on merit like it's it's ahead of you know signs it's it's they're doing well well it's deceptive because we're distracted from that uh, briefly by trying to figure out why George Russell thinks the it's starting to rain oh my because God. he's sweating so hard. Oh my so God, that was so funny. He was sweating. He was sweating so hard that he was like, is it tsunamiing? Uh, is it is is there some sort of like massive downpour happening? Because there is one happening inside my helmet. It's, it's, it was like the, the guy in Airplane. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, Brundle explained that uh, he had a, a time apparently where the G-force during braking like sucked moisture from the corner of his eye onto the visor. Oh, that's wild. And I want, I'm wondering if that's like similar because, you know, if you feel it drip from your, you know, eyebrows yeah, into you your know. eyes, you know, yeah. but if you just see a spot on your visor, then, well, maybe it's raining. And But we he was like, get... yeah, am I the only one saying that it's raining? And it's his true. engineer was like, yeah, I think it might it might it's not. not raining. They need to get Codemasters to put that eyeball water tech in the next game. <laughs> yeah, make a good trailer. Um, it's, it's around here also that we start getting the escalating peevishness between Max and his pit wall about track limits, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, because they, they start, they're, they're tracking track limits for, one presumes, everyone. Um, but Verstappen is getting perilously close to a penalty. Um, it is, gosh, around lap 48 or 50 where he, he is actually given a black and white flag, which means if he goes outside of the limits again, he does get a penalty. Oh no, um, a five second penalty. What right, will Max yeah. Verstappen do? <laughs> yeah. But it, even then he asks his engineer what his fastest lap time is and then goes for a fastest lap. Um, but yeah, back in the rest of the field, Perez wasting no time climbing through the field again. And uh, lap 31 is when he breezes by Alonso on the start-finish straight for 8th place. Then by Sunoda on lap 33 for 7th on the inside of turn 1. And again by Ocon at turn 1 
for sixth place. Uh, Russell also making up places. And uh, like you said, Danny, this this one's big. He gets by signs on the inside of turn one on lap 35 for third place. Yeah, we weren't seeing uh, Mercedes is doing that a couple of races ago. So, yeah, very interesting. That whole Constructors' Championship for second is going to be so cool, I think, for the rest of the year. Um, yeah. Uh, Alonso, speaking of interesting Constructor battles, he had just pitted around lap 48 and begins his fight back, passing Joe for ninth, then Sunoda a lap later for eighth, both on the start-finish straight with DRS. And then on lap 51, does the same move on Ocon, albeit with some aggressive defending from Ocon. This is when he kind of dived to the wall, uh, and the commentators were like, what? <laughs> Pretty late move. Um, but this puts him behind his teammate, uh, and despite doing faster times, Alonzo radios to say, tell Lance not to worry, and that he won't try to pass him. A lot of good. It's just... It's that it's that I don't know what it is that Alonzo we were talking about this weird little nice guy Alonzo who's it's who's unnerving a, it's it's creepy I don't like it <laughs> I don't like does he's up to something he's clearly up to something there was an interview with him after the race and he was saying uh, yeah I could have gone past him and yada 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 but he said um, with the dam I think he was conscious of the damage of the floor of his car is what he said mm-hmm. um, which you know maybe or maybe he's conscious of the damage to his relationship between him and his new dad, Lawrence Stroll. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I wonder if it factors into him, his age at this point with contract stuff. Like even if he's, you know, still going strong, like, you know, does he start to think that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, what is he going to be 42? Right. Or is he already 42? Something like that. Um, and Lance Stroll and just is wants like, to play ball. Is 24. So like, like legitimately he is a child to Fernando Alonso. Yes. So if he's treating him a little bit, not yeah. like a little brother, but like a, like a kid brother or like a, young, a child, that's that's why. <laughs> Fernando's like, yeah. in his IndyCar prime. I don't know what he's worried <laughs> that's, about. That's true. That's true. Uh, Perez pits again for soft tires and by lap uh, 53 has made up enough ground to himself get by signs on the start-finish straight for fourth place. Uh, lap... 56 sees a scrap between Sunoda and Joe over ninth place with Joe going down the outside of Sunoda in turn one, uh, but then getting squeezed out and having to take that escape road. Uh, this earns Sunoda a five second penalty for forcing another driver off the track. Sunoda, not a happy guy during this race. A lot of angry radio messages. Yeah. Uh, but one not so angry is Max Verstappen who wins the race. Uh, Alonso <laughs> comes home waving at the fans while he's still racing as he's coming around the penultimate and ultimate turns. Uh, he comes home behind Lance Stroll, as he said, uh, to finish seventh at home. Yeah, not bad. And two Mercedes on the podium. Hamilton That's second. right. Russell third, he fought off Perez. There was a little bit of worry about a charge, late charge from Perez, but never really materialized. Um, they really cornered I, Red Bull via strategy and just overall race pace. Like, Perez, mm. like, was forced to basically concede that position to try and bring the fight back later in the race on the fresh tire and didn't come close to doing it. There was a minute there where, God, it drives me 
oh, every time commentators try to do this, where it's like, ooh, uh, Perez just took 1.5 seconds out of George. is coming together very nicely here at the end of the race. And there's like two laps left and still an eight-second lead. And it's like, <laughs> it is not coming together at all, my friends. There is, there trying, is nothing brewing up. up. some some excitement yeah. from yeah and it was one of those races where like everyone was three seconds away from each other you know, there was yeah. you know signs was languishing in fifth and uh yeah it was kind of murder she wrote at that stage well racefans.net points out that russell is the first driver to start behind a red bull and beat it in 2023 wow uh sergio Perez comes home fourth followed by carlos signs lance stroll fernando alonso esteban ocon in eighth joe guan yu pierre gasly in 10th then we've got charles leclerc just outside the points yuki Tsunoda, oscar piastri nick devries nico holkenberg alex albon lando norris kevin magnuson valtteri botas and logan Sargent. worth pointing out that uh, yuki Tsunoda, i believe yes he was dropped out of the points with that five second penalty yes uh, and Verstappen scored an additional point for setting the fastest lap of the race. And that, I believe, is a grand slam. Pole mm-hmm. position, led all the laps, and got fastest lap. A kid's going to be a champion one of these days. Um, I think... <laughs> Mark my words. Just looking at that top 10, you got to worry for Ferrari this year. Like, that's... Uh, to be beaten on track to lose from second position, to be kind of fighting. He knows he's not going to be max, but they're going for it. They're like, you know, giving it a good college try. And then to end up in fifth and to have the other car not be able to make up the the pace in a, in a, in a track that is purpose-built for overtaking, especially with this new final sector that get lets them do the previous two corners flat out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I think... You know, and when you look at the constructors, which I'm sure you will in a second, mm-hmm. that's very reflective of where they're at at the moment and not where we thought they'd be when we did the primer. Yeah, well, get those Red Bull side pods on there and see what happens. Right, yeah. Uh, Red Bull's Max Verstappen is on top of the Drivers' Championship with 170 points to Sergio Perez, his teammates, 117. That gap is widening. Fernando Alonso is in third with 99 points. Lewis Hamilton in fourth with 87. George Russell in fifth with 65. Carlos Sainz in the first of the Ferraris is in sixth place with 58 points. His teammate Charles Leclerc is in seventh with 42. Lance Stroll's in eighth with 35, followed by Esteban Ocon with 25. Pierre Gasly in tenth with 15. Then we've got Lando Norris with 12. Nico Hulkenberg with six. Oscar Piastri with five. Valtteri Bottas and Joe Guan Yu uh, in 14th and 15th place, both have four. Yuki Tsunoda and Kevin Magnussen both have two. Alex Albon has one. And then Nick DeVries and Logan Sargent have zero. Where did DeVries end up, sorry, at the at the end of this race? Uh, that's a tab I've closed. Sorry, my bad. You, did I you, not go down the whole list? You may have, but I just wasn't listening. <laughs> or don't remember, rather. <laughs> let, me, let me pull it back up. But in the constructor standings, uh, Red Bull Racing... Is on top of 287. Mercedes has 152. That's quite a gap. Uh, Aston Martin's in third with 134. Ferrari in fourth with 100 points. Alpine's in fifth with 40. McLaren has 17. Uh, Haas, Gino's and team, is tied with Alfa Romeo with eight points. Alfa Tauri's in ninth with two, and Williams has one. Nick DeVries finished 14th place. 14th, okay, okay. So still squeaky bomb time for him, maybe. Monaco wasn't so bad, but um, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Breeze watch continues. 
Indeed. As does Alfa Romeo sponsorship watch. We talked a little bit about this uh, <laughs> last week. Um, rumor is that Alfa Romeo is going to jump from the Sauber team to the Haas team once the Sauber Alfa Romeo becomes Audi. Um, but apparently no one has told Gunther Steiner. Uh, when asked, asked by Autosport if the team would be sponsored by Alfa Romeo in 2024, Steiner said, a lot of people are telling that to me, but the only ones who haven't told me that yet are Alfa Romeo. <laughs> Obviously, they are looking at what they are doing in the future, and they came to see us to see how we were doing. It was an introduction, nothing else. I had never met the CEO before in my life, and it was, <laughs> really sounds like a lot of, like, your honor. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that man. <laughs> uh, he just said hello, and that was it. Uh, Haas already has a long-term title sponsorship arrangement in place with Money Graham, and Steiner said that any association with Alfa Romeo would have to accommodate that. Mm. So there, from the horse's mouth, uh, as were some other words, Rob. So in the wake of Monaco, Gunther was in his feelings about F1 stewarding. He didn't like, <laughs> he didn't like the way Hulkenberg uh, was penalized for a uh, collision in Hulkenberg. And he said uh, he, he was he was advocating a position, let us say, that we should have full time professional stewards. He says he said after that race, every professional sport has got professionals being referees and stuff like this. F one is one of the biggest sports in the world, and we still have laymen deciding on the fate of people who invest millions in their careers. And it's Ooh, always a discussion because there's no consistency. I think we need to step it up, and I think now is the time. I think we're discussing this for years and years, and we always go back to this. So there is a rule in the F1 uh, like uh, code sporting code that says you can't disparage the officials, basically. Um, you know, criticize but not disparage. And as we've talked about before, frequently the F1 stewards are people with a background in motor racing. A lot of times you have former F1 drivers or at least people who've competed in other uh, you know high-level FIA categories. And so... The FIA took a lot of umbrage at uh, Steiner calling the stewards layman. But it kind of reads to me like also the FIA got into this to a certain point and then realized maybe this isn't a good look either. Maybe it looks like because also like to a degree, it kind of feels like it hit the mark. Right, that they were that the FIA is e extremely upset about that word in particular. And so here is their ruling. Uh, the steward said, Mr. Steiner's word layman and his reference to other sports having professional personnel could be and indeed were perceived to cause offense. And in our view, reasonably did cause offense not only to the stewards in Monaco, but also to other FIA personnel and many motorsports volunteers. However, the stewards accept Mr. Steiner's statement during the hearing that his reference was to professional his reference to professionalism was meant to refer to people who worked in a role as their profession and not that the stewards were acting unprofessionally further mr steiner stated his reference to layman was meant to refer to people who worked occasionally and not not meant to refer to a lack of qualifications or specialization mr steiner also freely apologized if anyone was hurt by what i said or misunderstood what i said the steward, that's, all, that's the only quote. If anyone was hurt by what I said or misunderstood what I said, uh, the stewards accept this apology, <laughs> right, such as it is, I guess. 
<laughs> it is very funny to me that he also kind of weaseled his way out of this. Yeah. Where it's like, obviously, I just, I merely meant that you're not, your profession is not being stewards. That's all I meant. <laughs> I love it. And everyone's just like, you know what? We're going to pretend this never happened. <laughs> right. Uh, the last paragraph in that Autosport article, I think, is my favorite. Do you have it there? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the statement added, uh, Mr. Steiner stated that if he had meant to insult or offend anyone, he would have used much different words. Oh, my God. The stewards do not dispute this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's perfect. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, well, Rob, as we uh, head away from Spain, might we be headed back? Yeah, so this was something that was bubbling up before the race uh, and was discussed a bit during the race weekend. There is discussion about replacing uh, the Catalonia race at the circuit with a street race in Spain, uh, in particular, a street race in Madrid. Man, they love their street races. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. And so I guess one thing that I, I, as I often fail to, um, we love these classic racing circuits, but by their very nature, they're inaccessible. Uh, they're, they're tough to get to. You have like massive traffic snarls as people try to reach these places. So that is, you know, I can see one reason why there is a real desire to move these things into street races. But at the same time, this is a classic track, uh, in modern F1. And a lot of drivers were very lukewarm on the idea of leaving it. Hamilton was talking about that it's one of those traditional circuits that we should probably try and keep, um, that it's important to have that heritage uh, in F1. Um, oddly enough, the Spanish drivers, uh, you know, in, in particular, were like, as long as it stays in Spain, uh, you know, who cares? We just we just want to make sure that Spain stays on, on the calendar. Well, I mean, I mean, that's an interesting take because they're probably Spanish and not Catalonian drivers. That's the other thing is there is a bit of, oh, like ditching Catalonia and moving it to Madrid is also moving it effectively to like, not a different like country within a country, but in terms of just like the regional politics, totally. it is yeah. really charged to do that. Uh the other thing is, like, the, the vibe I get, certainly from Hamilton, but I suspect a lot of people feel this way, uh, Barcelona is a very beautiful and popular city. I don't know that people feel the same way about Madrid. No. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, look, but, look, man, if they want another Iberian race, Portimao is right there. Like, just <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, let's get back there, man. Everyone had a good time. We all enjoyed it. It was one of the silver linings during... The COVID season, I, I would I would love to go back there. It's such a shame I just, that it just doesn't draw the crowds. No, and I just think that, I think there's a real risk of um, it's tough to find telegenic street races, and yeah, uh, I think like they would struggle with that in Madrid. Uh, you know, you you get these wide shots at Catalonia. It's gorgeous, like a slice of heaven. And you got cars racing across it. It's incredible. You see the clouds rolling over the hills. Mm. Say what you will about Paul Ricard. It had that same like sense of drama uh, to it in terms of the overall location. Street races, by their nature, so often you just have cameras aiming down at tarmac. And it is just it could be anywhere in the world because all you yeah. see is advertising hoardings and patched up concrete, and that's kind of it. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, I think... 
it certainly seems like Liberty is hell bent on getting as many street races on the calendar as possible, and then as many races on the calendar as as possible. Um, you know, we didn't we're not going to talk about it this week, but Autosport ran a story about how can F one hit Liberty's avowed target of like thirty races a year? Thirty? Oh my god! Yeah, um, and just basically openly talking about the fact that. Liberty has a growth mindset and they just want more revenue. And the only way to get more revenue out of that is just like run more races. And yeah, I guess if that is your only objective, you can certainly uh, run, you can certainly run people in the ground that way. And it seems like that is going to be the strategy they adopt. Or you widen your fan base. Danny. Okay. Yes. Very true. Very true for generations we've been talking about how formula one is an old geezers sport and that's changed a lot over the past few years especially with the influx of americans it's become a little bit more diverse in terms of the age profile gender profile all that sort of stuff and thanks to this podcast and well mostly (laughs) to this podcast but how do you guys feel about children children they're like us but smaller and stupider um uh, they don't have as much buying power as us, but those children grow up. They become be consumers. Consumers, exactly. Workers and consumers. Right now, they just consume your spirit. Damn exactly. It. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, what if we gave them a taste of the beautiful drug that is Formula One? Um, that's what we're doing, apparently, or at least that's what F1 is doing, mostly in England and Germany. So, apparently, this initiative which doesn't have one singular name yet, um, but it's basically, uh, it's been called F1 Juniors in the UK. Uh, Sky are doing this, and Sky Deutschland, the German uh, wing of Sky, are calling it Sky Next Generation. Um, So I look forward to seeing Patrick Stewart on that one. Um, (laughs) uh, It's basically an attempt to package F1 for kids. Uh, This reminds me a little bit about, was it the wild card game that they had the Nickelodeon stuff for NFL? That was very funny. The digital slime effect in the end zone? Yes, whenever anyone got a touchdown, slime, uh, lots of like, you know, funny messages and, you know, the commentary was a bit more relaxed, all that sort of stuff. So they're going to do something similar during the Hungarian Grand Prix this year in July. Uh, The first ever F1 broadcast for children. It's going to have bespoke graphics, sound effects, and special features, including 3D augmented graphics on specific camera angles. Uh, Read slime. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully slime or oil slicks or blue shells. I don't know. What are we, yeah. <laughs> something like that. We'll just have Max Verstappen with like a chain chomp attached to him at the front going miles in front of everyone else. Um, the F1 Juniors version, which is the uh, UK version, which hopefully we'll be able to get access to. I, this sounds like it's something that's only going to be available terrestrial sky television in the UK, but maybe there'll be a way of getting access to it later. Um, it's going to be hosted by Jensen Button, Danica Patrick, and three uh, children. They haven't decided who these children are yet. I think they're still looking for them. Mick. Um, so that's an interesting little mix of people. <laughs> Wait, what did he say? Mick. Mick Schumacher. Mick Schumacher. Oh, no. Poor Mick. Apparently, Mick helped a lot with the simulator this weekend for Mercedes. So, you know, he's doing good work. Um, does he have a younger brother? Or does Ralph? Ralph has a, mm. Ralph has a son, right? 
I can't remember. Who's in Formula 3? I, I can't remember. Anyway, um, Sky Dutchland is going all in on kids. They just love kids. They are currently looking for a bunch of kids who are between 10 and 14 to host their version of it. Um, so, unfortunately, that will probably be in German, so we won't be able to watch how that one worked out. But, we can um, watch it. We can watch it, but they'll be speaking yeah. German, so th- they'll sound perfectly intelligible <laughs> to my ears. <laughs> I won't know if they're screwing up or not, and that's the whole point, is watching children screw up on television. Sure, <laughs> That's my favorite thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how this goes. I think it's a weird thing, but they're going to try it out, uh, and we get to watch and see how it happens, so... Uh, look forward to that coming next month to uh, Sky Television near you. I if you live in the UK or Germany. I, from like a production aspect, I really want to see what this looks like. Mm, yeah. uh, and and just like what to what degree do you go? How how deep do you go on stuff? Right. Um, what do you talk about if you can't? You know, in quotes, talk about you know, more technical stuff. I, I do worry about this because I don't know how well you guys remember being kids, but I remember knowing when I was being pandered to. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And th- I think that's a real danger. You know, that'll, that'll decide what, whether this, this is successful or not. It's one right? of the that's- things that I could, like, I've, I see people have the gift for it where they are, like, able to just meet kids where they aren't at their level yes. without, like, coming across as, like, pandering or condescending to children. And you know, like, I don't know how you did that. I don't know how you pitched it so perfectly to communicate with them, like the little adults, the, like the little people they are, without also simultaneously like consciously seeming like you're dumbing yourself down. It's like a genuine, really tight talent is being able to be a TV presenter for kids. And I have zero and faith that Danica Patrick or Jensen Button have that. Well, talent. that's my worry is that the Nick, the Nick NFL stuff seemed to my ears like it was really talking to them. And on their level, and Danica Patrick and Jensen Button, I think, are already trying really hard to be adult TV presenters. I don't know if they can do this for. for I, I don't know if Danica Patrick has kids. I don't think I don't Jensen think, Button has any kids. Who she does? I don't think she does. No, you don't think she does. I don't know. I don't think Jensen has. I don't. I don't actually know. But I don't think so. who knows? But it'll be especially weird if they're co hosts our children I just think it's okay very... you know who would fucking crush this though do you remember that bit with lewis hamilton talking to a kid and the kids talking about like if he like if he could have any wish and the kid was like i wish i could wear multiple pairs of sneakers <laughs> and hamilton just starts arguing with the kid about like how dumb that wish is <laughs> well apparently uh, lewis has like if uh, following him over his career he's got a bunch of nieces and nephews yeah that he like spends time with so i know yeah, i believe I, like like in terms of this challenge like in like i think lewis hamilton crushes this who else do we think would absolutely just smoke uh being a Ricardo? nickelodeon yeah ricardo might yeah he kind of has children's tv presenter vibes. you know what avocado He'd be he'd be too um he'd he'd make too many like risque jokes though. He might, but kids love mm. fart jokes, and he'd just make those. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I, get them I all could, to do I could see, I could see that working. Sucked. Um, like I, who's I, a he, secret good? I bet Magnuson. He's a new dad, right? A Hulkenberg maybe. But well, he's a Sebastian bit what well, Actually, no. Yeah. Hulkenberg. We already have proof that he cannot talk to children because <laughs> true. Of, of the Microsoft <laughs> Store stuff. I think yeah. I think I, th- I think Seb destroys this. I think Seb. Like is yes, like absolutely right. crushes it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like that's that is definitely someone I would I would tap to do this. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a very funny idea. I w- I I wish I knew that we were getting it here in the states. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, something we did get here in the states, the Indy yes. Five Hundred. Rob, did you end up watching it? 
I did. Um, and then I watched Detroit, which wasn't bad. I, I haven't watched Detroit okay. yet. N- nor have I. What did uh, you make of Indy? What did you make of the winner? Uh, I think the race. I think the end of the race was going to be a mess, uh, no matter what. After yeah. award caused, uh, after award basically ruined the end. Oh my god! I I was shouting for him. To, uh, he I who's he's who I wanted to win. And it was just, you could see that crash coming a mile Dude's away. Dude's just like, just... guy finds a way. Like, this is the problem. Like, everyone but Polo, in terms of that, like, young rising generation of IndyCar drivers, they find ways to blow it. And I think Award has that, too. Because, like, Award, here's the other thing. At Detroit, Award was saying, he blamed Erickson, and he was like, I was just too nice. Next time that happens, I'm just taking Erickson to the wall with me. <laughs> and I was like, what did Erickson do except fail to like save you from your dumbass, like, overthought passing yeah. over? Like, why were, you do- why were you zigzagging like that? You either have it or you don't on an oval. Yeah, it's wild. What did you make of, uh, can we say who won? Is it going to spoil it for people? I, think I, I, I already that. notated the, 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 time, the time zone or the time stamp, yeah. so go for it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what? So I'm not a huge indie car fan going back, but, but like it seemed like it meant a lot to everyone that Joseph Newgarden got it, and obviously he's somebody who sort of not winning the indie has been. This is his twelfth attempt, I think. This has been sort of a thorn in his side. It's the, so. it's the problem. It's kind of it's kind of an Andretti situation where it's you've done everything else in the in the sport, you haven't won indie, right? And it was just this like monkey off his back type situation, and uh, you know he goes back. He, you know he he grew up watching the sport. He's been a part of it for ages, and honestly, it was magical watching him cross the barricades into the stands and going cool. into the crowd like that is that is memorable. Uh, it was it was a great moment. Uh, well, one thing that wasn't such a great moment. <laughs> Uh, it was when that tire went flying toward the stands. Yeah, was it Kyle Kirkwood, I think yeah. that was, the car? Yes. Yeah, so we saw this tire, and we talked about it last week, how everyone was just relieved that it didn't land in the stands. Um, but much like a baseball that's hit over the top of the, the stadium in like a in like a minor league game, you do wonder about the car park. You wonder, uh-huh. oh, 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 that thing had to land somewhere. Did it land... Uh, on tarmac in a tree or on someone's car and it turns out that uh the tire did in fact hit a car it didn't completely destroy the car i think it like s- skimmed it but it did like fairly significant damage to the uh front end uh of this uh of the chevy cruise it was um uh, there's a link uh here which we'll put in the show notes i assume from jalopnik that'll show you a picture of it so pretty Quickly afterwards, the indie people were out there and like uh, checking on the cars, and they they found this one. So there's footage of it. Um, the person who uh, whose car it hit was very magnanimous about him, being like, you know, this stuff happens. It's fine. Um, according to Indy, uh, Penske Entertainment has said that they will buy this person a new car. Um, the Chevy Cruze is no longer in uh, being made, so oh. they can't replace with a Chevy Cruze. Yeah, the Chevy Malibu is still in production. I actually got one as a rental car when I was in Annapolis. I, it was the like the only car that was there in my little like whatever bracket of of car that I got, and it was nice. It was like a, a nice car. It wouldn't be my daily driver, but it was a nice car. They could get get them a Malibu. Malibu. Um, but like what they really should do is get is get them just like something absolutely sick. Like that's the way to win the the PR battle on this one. Um. But uh, yeah, it's, Camaro. It, re- it remains to be seen. It exactly. w- so it's here's something. why the Camaro is the better pick. 
than the uh, Corvette. Like, as thrilled as I'd be if my car got fucked up and I got a Corvette to replace it, I would be like, I'm sorry, I need a trunk in a back seat. Like, I just, this is <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Said, my car, which had a trunk in a back seat, is destroyed by a flying tire. And what I have now is a mid engine. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe you get a used car, though. Maybe you get, an, you know, another Chevy Cruze or, uh, you know, a Nova. Well, I guess the problem is above. If they get them a super super nice car, they will just sell that car and then, you know, get a get get a used car and, and pocket where the is, extra. Where is the problem with that? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, nothing, I guess. But it's just it's <laughs> it's yeah, I don't know. I like the purity of them getting them just like some baller ass car. Um, but yeah, just mostly happy no one got injured. Uh, there was actually somebody who got hit by a piece of fragment of one of the cars in the crowds, but apparently they weren't seriously injured or anything. Yeah, uh, they were fine. So um, yeah, thankfully. Nobody got injured, and we got a fun story out of that one. Well, speaking of fun stories, if you would like to write your own, you can join our <laughs> Fantasy League using the link in the show notes. Uh, from the Spanish Grand Prix, our Fantasy Podium looks like this. In third place, Rad Mobile with 361 points. Botas Butt Cheeks Whoa. with 362. And with 364 points, Understeer McBride which, uh, just a little spoiler here for everyone, is now leading the championship Whoa! overall in the Fantasy League. Uh, in second place, hi, Jerry. Thanks for this podcast. And in third, Oberhof <laughs> Racing. Was Jerry giving out podcast recommendations? Must have been. Thanks, Jerry. Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, if you'd like to hit us up on the emails, you could do so at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or go to f1.cool slash emails or hit us up on the socials. They are in the show notes along with our YouTube link. I keep YouTube. forgetting to mention this, but we're on YouTube if that's your jam. We're on YouTube. Um, but that's, uh, that's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world of racing, Danny? Let's race around the world of racing. Yeah. A little redundant, but hey, we are uh, this weekend going to Le Mans. It's the Le 24 Mans. hours of Le Mans. Le Mans. Le Mans. J'aime Le Mans. Uh, you could watch our Patreon episodes about uh, various endurance things we've done over the years. And the movie, Le Mans. Including the movie. <laughs> yep. If you want to do that to yourself, um, <laughs> MotoGP is at the Mugello circuit. Mugello. Uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series is in the local Sonoma Raceway. Hell yeah. Sonoma. At least. Sonoma. <laughs> Sonoma. For the DoorDash 250. We should go to that. Uh, that would be fun. <laughs> uh, the Motocross Grand Prix um, is in Germany at, oh boy. Pflanzeskarten. It's close. It's Talkessel. Talkessel. What did you call me? Excuse me? <laughs> Tall Castle. Uh, for the Liquimali MXGP of Germany. And we got NASCAR. Where are we at? Sonoma. We're also in wine country. Beautiful. Indeed. For the Toyota forward slash Save Mart 350. <laughs> we had to go in. to no, no, Neither of us could afford it. So we went. We split it down the <laughs> middle. First half. You know. Sponsored by Safeway, second half, Toyota. Very expensive uh, real estate up in Sonoma. Wait, was it Safeway or Save Mart? S Save Mart. I don't think there are Save Marts in Sonoma County. <laughs> 
I've yeah. never seen one. I'm in Sonoma County right now. Yeah, it would it would be the Tesla Whole Foods 350. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It would be. Yeah, Mountain Mike's Pizza, um, Uber. I guess it is DoorDash, though, for the other one. So that's pretty on brand for up True. here. True. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's what's going on this weekend. What happened in the the days past, Danny? <laughs> days your too. Is, and is, anyone pick up on that reference? Is that well? Is that the Wayne's World? Uh, um, transition to the past or is that mr caffeine it's well in this in this the week of our lord e3 uh in times <laughs> gone past i felt compelled to reference uh, mr caffeine from the ubisoft conference uh yes but uh, the uh, these day, uh, this day june 7th um in the past uh the gilles villeneuve circuit in montreal is notorious for crashes and comings together at the first corner and the race on this day in 1998 was one of the more spectacular examples alex worst in his first full season with benetton tried a bonsai move on jean alacy's sauber at the first corner verts hit a lazy and the australia sorry austrian's car was pitched into a dramatic barrel roll across the track onto the gravel trap he collected not only Alessi, but also Johnny Herbert in the other Sauber and Jarno Trulli in a Prost. No one was hurt, but the race was red flagged and Worst joined uh, the restarted grid in the spare Benetton. Ah, love love spare spares. cars. Yep. That's not all, though. When the race did restart, there was yet another crash at the first corner, and unbelievably, it involved two of the men in the first incident. <laughs> Ra- Ralph Schumacher spun his Jordan just after turn one, causing havoc for the rest of the field, including Jarno Trulli and Jean Alesi. The pair tangled, and Trulli's car ended up with its rear wheel perched on top of Jean Alesi's car, just inches from his head. Jeez. Uh, which is something we saw... Not that long ago in Monza between uh, Hamilton and, and Verstappen. It's uh, true. Dangerous stuff. Halo, Dan- yeah, dangerous stuff. This car racing. You should, uh, yeah. you should be careful. Yeah. Well. All right. Uh, final thoughts from Spain, Danny. Um. Yeah. Felt like a throwback F1 race. Wasn't the most. It was a weird race because a lot happened, but it was kind of boring. It was like a kind of a funny, weird one. Um, I gave it a two out of four. That's fair. Yeah, I was trying to think about it myself, and I was like, it's a three out of five, I guess, because it would feel crueler to give it any lower, but it was just, you know, I enjoyed qualifying more than the race, which is, you know, never a good sign. Um, Yeah, you know, sure. Look, the world of Liberty Media, no one race can ruin the season, so there's always one more. more. There's always one more. Uh, Also, shout out to all the people who are watching this on YouTube who enjoyed the fact that this podcast starts in the daytime, and by the time we're finished, I'm like almost completely in a dark room because um, I'm facing the, the sunset. So thank you, YouTube commenters. Uh, final thoughts, Rob? Yeah, I'm with you. It was like for all the event there was in, in, the, in the race, it was kind of boring. It, like, it was just such a DRS gets done and everything else is just sorting out finishing order on the track. Um, the qualifying was actually much more interesting, I think. The in terms of the evident struggles people were having to come to grips with those uh, conditions, the race was a little anticlimactic uh, for for all that. But uh, you, you know, to your point, Danny, it does appear that like P two and the constructors is becoming really interesting territory. 
Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's one thing that will be fun as we approach the second half of the season is that some of those sort of like battles and stories will start to solidify. There's a weird element I think at, at the moment where there's so much happening and this, the 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 sort of the battles are so fractured that it's kind of hard to remember who you're supposed to be fighting, you know, who's an underdog where and stuff. I think all that sort of stuff will be, you know, sort of shuffled out. We'll kind of have a better picture of that on the other side of the summer break. Well, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shiftf1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow. Doo, doo, doo.